Hi, Jonathan Williams back again at the last show of the year. We are the Bricks and Mortar podcast, buying, selling, renting or investing in property. We'll have something that floats your boat and lights your candle. Listen, it's been great having you on board over the last year. We've got so much to look forward to in 2018. We're just wrapping up where we're at. Uh, at the end of 2017, we're smack bang in the middle of, of Christmas films. What's the best Christmas film that you've seen so far? Well, let me tell you, we had Guns of Navarone, we had Back to the Future 2, we had that Proclaimers film today. The films just keep coming. And the interviews keep coming as well. Last week I told you about my interview with Philip Howard. He's 24, he's got big plans. He was a former employee of ALG. He left them to sit his IFA exams and he's doing a side hustle JVing his way into the property side of things. He wants to do 18 deals next year, 18. He's all about the side hustle. He's got a great story. We're gonna listen to him. He's the numbers guy. He's super motivated, super motivated. I think you'll really enjoy this one. His intri- he's got this great backstory. Without any more further ado, let's listen to my chat with Philip Howard. Okay, we're having a second go at this. <laughs> Hi, Jonathan Moyes back again at the Bricks and Mortar podcast. Uh, it's the day after Boxing Day, and if you're listening to this, uh, during the Christmas period, you'll appreciate how flipping cold it absolutely is. But we're not cold here. We've got the central heating ramped up to full, and I've got in front of me Philip Howard. Uh, now, many of you won't know who Philip is, but I'm sure as the months and years roll on, he will become very much, uh, he could well be the go-to guy with regards to buy-to-let. He's got some great plans and, and we'll discuss that and uh, see what he's got planned for moving forward. Uh, good morning to you. How are you doing? You well? Yeah, I'm very good, thanks, John. Now, when I met you, it was back, um, I think this is about two and a half years ago, three years ago, and we were at an ALG conference. I think it was one of the first ones they were doing. They were doing a freebie one-day event, and I thought, listen, whilst I am not haven't got much interest in going full-time in property, I thought it would be quite a good insight as to find out strategies and education. And Philip was put on stage, and I have to say back then, um, he went on stage and he was an absolute mind of knowledge with regards to sourcing properties and strategy. And I thought to myself, looking at him, goodness gracious, how does a chap who looks about 12 know as much as this? He certainly, that's two and a half years since then, he's moved on significantly from there. And we're just going to delve deep into his journey, his goal setting, his strategies joint ventures I know he's a big fan of. So listen, without any more further ado, let's crack ahead. How are you doing? You well? I'm very good, thank you. Good Christmas for you? Excellent Christmas. Yeah? Nice and relaxed and got a good bit of reading done and yeah. got up on the accounts and things like that. Okay. So in my happy place. And hit the ground running 2018? Yes, 2018 starts at the end of 2017. Sounds pretty obvious, but if you don't set it up right, it's going to sort of stumble up on it. Yeah. And that's what we're, we'll touch on that goal setting um, later on. But let's, let's 
step back a little bit and let's talk about you're currently working with a set of an accountants um, that you're doing that, but your main passion is clearly property. How did you get that passion? Tell me a little bit about that. So I caught the property bug, so to speak, back when I was maybe seven or eight, watching House Doctor with Anne-Marie and Property Ladder with Sarah Beanie and things like that. Right. And just uh, watching, taking an old property or a property that needed modernisation, spending not a lot of time and sometimes not a lot of money and making vast chunks of cash. Yeah, okay. And it just blew my mind how you could do it without a lot of them some people were doing it themselves some people had a team that would come in and do it and yet they were making more money than people were making in a job and they were making it off one property right. in nine months so I thought well that sounds pretty good and this was when you were seven so CBC CBBC and CITV wasn't floating your boat you Not thought you know what no. Sarah Beanie <laughs> th- she's think, the one to watch yeah I think um, my dad helped that so from a young age we were my sister and I we were on a, a personal development plan so at the start of the year he would say what do you want to achieve this year and we'd write down 15 20 things and then he would make a chart up and then we'd write the date that we'd done them and there was a monetary reward or a treat or something that we wanted wow. attached to that and he did this from what age? Well, the earliest one that I've found so far was from 2001, so I'd have been about eight. Goodness. So he was very instrumental in yeah. finding, it, it wasn't just on one thing, it was a big, a, a broad aspects of subjects and different talents to sort of try and work out what was it we were good at, what did we enjoy doing, and really trying to then narrow us down at an early age to go that spot you need to focus on. And what was his background then, if he came up with that? So my dad's background, he's in engineering. Right. So he's now involved with a big multinational corporation over in uh, over in the States. Uh-huh. But um, he's also a John Maxwell coach. So John Maxwell is quite a big leadership person. He wrote 21 out of football laws of leadership. So he's a coach for them. And I think mm-hmm. just being a manager and things, he wanted to try and... Maybe not try out a few you things. You were the guinea pigs, maybe. See if we were the guinea pigs, I'm, I'm grateful for it. Yeah. You know, so it worked out, out really well. So growing up, we didn't get pocket money or anything like that. We, he, we would read books and then do a report on it. And when he read the report, and if it was satisfactory, that would be our, our pocket money. Wow, okay. Um, so. And how did he make that fun? I mean, that could easily become a bit of a chore. Well, I think natural, finding out naturally what we enjoyed. I enjoyed reading, so it made sense that if he put certain books in front of us, that we'd be able to get educated and learn something. And right. I think it was a bit of a cheat for him because he'd get the report. <laughs> we'd have to read the book. <laughs> <laughs> He's a clever man. He's a clever man, obviously. So you're watching these pro- property programs, Property Ladder, Sarah Beanie. So you're seven. You're not even old enough then to open a bank account. So is that where the education started for you? I would say so because one of the, we had a Yorkshire Building Society account that had a wee, the book thing and you'd go and get it stamped. Yes. And I remember exactly where I was when I was sitting in the conservatory and we'd just been to the bank and they'd updated it with all the interest uh-huh. payments. And I went to my dad, what's this? It was like £31 of interest for the six months. And then there was the same like six months before. Yeah. He's like, well, that's interesting. I'm like, what's that? And he's like, well, that's the money the bank gives you for keeping the money in the bank. Yes. I went, so it's free money. And he went, 
if you, you, you can put it like that so I used to call it free money right so how do I get more free money well see if you put more put more money into the bank they'll give you more free uh-huh. money and right. that's when he taught me and he sat down and showed me he's like if you go back a few years Philip your, your interest was £21 and then slowly the amounts of interest were getting bigger mm-hmm. and that's when it clicked with me it's it's about compounding it's about getting as much in as early as possible because that's when the real compounding happens so a big hero of mine is Warren Buffett and he made 1% of his wealth by the age of 50 but now he's worth several well, 80 odd billion uh-huh, that uh-huh. came in the last sort of 30 40 years of his life right so it's because of the compound so effect the compounding so my dad sitting down and taking the time to teach me that then made me look at if I can buy things so I used to buy and sell Pokemon cards I still actually do at school no I used to buy it um, buy them in bulk on eBay and sell them individually on eBay and I'd go into game station and buy PlayStation games for £3 and sell them on eBay for £6-£7 and just he was just trying to show me and he encouraged me to do it so he was really just trying to show me this is how you can do it it's just wee bits and pieces but uh-huh. when you take it and eventually I, I bought a pool table for my room with the money that I'd made um, okay. at the age of sort of 10 yeah. um, but that was the thing it was a case of we're not going to buy you stuff I'm going to teach you what you need to do in order to generate the money for yourself wow so it that's was, quite progressive parenting it, it was and it's the type of thing at some point I'd like to sit down with them and, and write a book on it uh-huh. and do it sort of from his side of the parent and my side of the, the child yeah that, that's for a few years down the line I think so this continued going um, school was school for you but what was school like for you uh, I, I love school because yeah. I loved learning but when we were when we were 12 we uh, my dad's job took him out to, to Luxembourg Mm-hmm. So in 2006, we went out there and school just completely changed. Right. So 2006, you're how old? Because you're only 24. 24 now. 24 so now. I'd been 12. Right, okay. Point. So we went out there. So just starting secondary school? I did first year at secondary in Scotland. In Scotland, and right, And then okay. we went out to Luxembourg. And then yeah. because of the way the calendars changed with the American and the English system, uh-huh. I ended up having to do effectively first year again. Right, um, because okay. Because the way it worked. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I really enjoyed school. I loved learning. I loved, um, I loved the speaking to the teachers more than anything. So, see, when it came to secondary school and sort of towards the end, um, after school or at lunchtime, whatever, people go, "Where's Philip?" Or oh, he's in the business teachers' office, just chatting to him, Doctor Mooley. His name was. But so did that not? You're not giving a hard time for that kind of thing. Because we all know probably kids like, not, not, I'm just saying kids like you who are more interested in talking to the teachers. Did you, did, did they, the last year, pals not give you a hard time for that? Some of them did. Or did you just not care? I didn't care because at the end of the day, I'd learned enough to know that. So Dr. Miller, he used to work for George Soros over oh, right. in the States. Yes. So he had a bit of a fund, I think it was in Poland. They were invested with 30 million or something like that. He'd be able to tell you more, but... So I was really interested in the stock market, or I still am, but that's where I sort of started learning, putting more and more together. So I would just sit and talk with him in for 45 minutes wow. an hour after school and just chat, and he would really just, so this is what it is, and it was... And so this is, you're, what, 12, 13 years old? At that stage, I was Maybe probably older. 15, 16. Right, okay. okay. Um, but it's just a case of, obviously, the teach what you learn or you, you get taught in school is what the curriculum is what you need to be taught yes. but there's so much more after that 
and that's where the real meat is I think mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. so just talking to them and just learning why do they enjoy that subject and just trying to pick up as much as as much as possible yeah because you're still at that age such a sponge you know you've your, your father's clearly understood that and and he's got you um doing what, what you were doing there and then you've moved that on to school and that clearly has rubbed off to a certain extent and, and you're now interacting with teachers and, and gaining more information out with the education process as it were. So 15, 16, when did you come back from Luxembourg? So I came back from Luxembourg when I was 18 okay. to, to go to university but I would say what I was doing out there with the teachers is what I've then brought into property with finding the, find the expert in that chosen field. So obviously mm-hmm. at school you've got history, you've got business, you've got French, you've got whatever yeah. the subjects are in there, the specialist in that subject. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's the exact same in property. You've got the bite let, you've got HMO, you've got service accommodation, you've got all these different ones. And if you go to the history teacher and ask me about business, he's not going to know too much. Yes. But if you want to learn about service accommodation, you go to the service accommodation expert. Yes. And you sponge off them. Uh-huh. So that's really what it was sort of, I didn't know what I was doing at the time, but I can look back and mm-hmm, go, mm-hmm. that's what I was doing. Yeah, yeah. They, they talk about that in marketing as being the, the category expert. Mm-hmm. What the most important thing, and I'm learning this on, on the basis that, you know, I got to try for my business to identify a category where people will say he's the category expert in, because I think if you're too generic, then you know, that's a recipe for failure. So what you've done is you've identified category-specific elements within property and you've gone to who you perceive to be the expert within that category in order to learn of. Pretty much. So back when it started, so back 2006, 2007, that's when I started looking at shares and started reading about them and started Mm -hmm. trying to understand it because it going back to the property and, and watching property lads and stuff, you, I was seeing that you're needing maybe 100, 200,000 to do a project. Mm-hmm. But that was the numbers. I didn't know if they, at that point, I didn't know if they'd taken on debt or if they were using other people's money or whatever they were doing. Yeah. Um, so I just seen these numbers and I thought, that's going to take me a long time to build up that kind of money. So I looked and said, well, what's a way to generate money quickly? So 2006, I saw on the TV... Um, Warren Buffett was pledging his million or his billions to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So I started looking, going, this guy's got at that point it was like 40, 50, 60 billion. How did he make that? And obviously Buffett made most of his money in the early days in shares, and then eventually it was buying full companies. Mm-hmm. But in the early days it was shares. From that, well, I don't need to be involved in running the company. I don't need to be do anything. I just need to research it, use my brain, and look at the numbers does what I conceive to be the value of the business, is that what the stock market's valuing at? at? And if it's different, then you can buy it and then sell it at a later date. And that was going to be my way to build up my pot of money mm-hmm. uh, to eventually do that. So the crash came 2007, 2008, um, and I just I was still reading and learning. I didn't think I knew enough at that point to do anything. Mm-hmm. Then my, May 2009, I thought I'll take the plunge and because one of Buffett's quotes is be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others mm. are greedy and obviously at that point that was sort of the, the height of fear mm. so that's so 2009 time. you are then 15 okay so uh, 
I wasn't allowed to open a stockbroken account because you need to be 18 to do that. Mm-hmm. So my mum very kindly agreed to play the part of that. So she opened an account at Hargreaves Lansdowne. Right. And then I started just buying buying shares that I understood. Um, brought a couple of property companies at that point just because they were trading at such a discount to, to net asset value. Yeah. And just thought this is just a case of hold it and wait. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. made some good gains and just built up the pot that way. Um, so that was basically what I did. But in the midst of that, 24th of May 2010, mm-hmm. I read Rich Dad Poor Dad. Yeah. And that just completely changed my mindset because it went from you need all this money to, to do property to you don't actually need any. You can leverage the bank's money or you can leverage other people's money and find mm-hmm. other people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to use. You just need the knowledge. Yeah. And then it brought me back to cash flow because at the end of the day, if you want to effectively leave your job or do a, become financially independent, whatever that looks for you, you just need to have the money coming in every month passively in order to replace the fixed expenses. Now, yeah. I understood that from the share side mm-hmm. things. When you're looking at a company, what's their uh, debts, what's their equity, how much interest are they paying, can they afford to meet those payments, what's the fixed costs? So I knew it from... Main indicators. I knew it from a company's point of view, but then eventually I translated that into a property point of view so I would say what I do in property helps me with my shares and what I do in shares helps me with property because a lot of it overlaps so that's when my mind shifted to rather than maybe doing buying them and selling and making big chunks of money is how do we build a portfolio Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. to get that cash flow coming in Um, so my mum and dad had always wanted to be involved in property and they'd looked at it a few times but just never did it. So I, I handed my dad, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I handed him another book called Three Plus One Plan, which is effectively have your house, pay it off, buy three more, eventually pay them off, so then you retire, you don't have any mortgage for yourself, and you've got cash flow coming in from three Passively, properties. yeah. That's, that was the sort of the model. So mm-hmm. from there, um, I said, look, we need to really, this is the time to buy property, look what's happened to the market, you've seen what I'm doing in shares, we need to do something. Mm-hmm. So so this is after the crash, this is, yep. people are, are scared as you've said, people are thinking well it'll never come back, but you've decided, you know what, it's time for me to take a punt. So this was 2010 and it was a case of time to take a punt, but an educated punt. Mm-hmm. So the first thing was, right, we need to learn as much about property as possible yep. so living in Luxembourg it's totally totally different market so I'm effectively trying to learn the UK market from another country when I can't be on the ground mm-hmm. so I was just buying books and just reading as much as possible yep. web, anything I could get online I was looking at and then summer 2010 I came back to Scotland for summer holidays and there was a Rich Dad two hour event on at the Radisson Blue so okay. I went with a family member and they were obviously, they were obviously pitching their, their course. So my mum and dad were actually in the States in New York at that point. My dad said he was on the big red bus in New York going round and I gave him a call saying we need to go on this course to learn how mm. to actually do property properly. Yeah. So I signed up for the, the course. Um, and how big was it just to... to, to um bit of a sidetrack here how much of a selling pressure was there on on the course I mean did you obviously you know you go in and you have your two hours or, or, or whatever is it from sort of 
from the get-go, they're saying, well, we'll give you this, but the good stuff you're going to have to pay for. I think being 15, I didn't know, I didn't understand that no. psychology of <laughs> selling and all that kind of thing. Right. But at the end of the day, I knew, I trusted the brand, which was probably... Because you previously read the I book. previously read the okay. book. So I trusted the brand, and at the end of the day, whether it's high-pressure selling or not, um, if the content's good, you don't really mind. No. So we went on the course, um, it would have been early 2011, Okay. So I started taking days off school um, to drive back with my dad to London or Birmingham or wherever it was. Um, so we'd drive, get the tunnel across and then go to the course for the three, four days, two days, whichever it was. And then we would obviously... Because you're, st- you're still at school at Luxembourg. We're still at school in Luxembourg at this point. So it was... And what did you say to the teachers? You say, um, we, told them, um, I just, we, said, we told them exactly what I was going doing. To, all right. And... A lot of them were like, right, okay. But I think being in Luxembourg, it's obviously quite a big different mentality because a lot of the people in our school were the kids of the CEOs of these big multinational corporations. So Mm -hmm. we had, for instance, the vice president of Amazon's daughter in our class. Right, okay. So um, it's a case of they're used to big thinkers. Yes. So there's not as much, there's a lot of pressure to do well, but then they know the sort of people that they're uh-huh. that, or that are around I, I fear that you might have had a little bit more pushback from the Scottish educational system I think, I probably <laughs> do. I think that's why there I might have been a knock on the door <laughs> oi Howard get back to school <laughs> so I think so some of them understood it right um, which was really good uh-huh. and they, they allowed me to they could see that that's where my passion was and that's where mm. I was obviously getting myself educated enough to do it that I'm not just on a whim I'm not going and just playing football or doing whatever it's yeah. a case of I've got an action a means to an end yeah and worst case I'll learn something that I might never use mm-hmm. but at least I've taken the initiative to actually go out and try and improve myself For so sure. that's where they saw a lot of that so we would go back maybe three, four, five courses a year and we would just travel back and back and forth So with, with the same rich that, no, or no, just different different they, courses different courses because obviously um, you've got people like Simon Zucci and Kevin Green and all this and we would just go to different courses to try and pick up as much as possible. And what action were you taking? Because there's so many people out there who go on all these courses and they never actually take any action and I'm just thinking, well what's the point in that? It's a complete waste of money. What happened was at the end of 2010 my dad came back to Scotland for a holiday and uh, he went and started chatting to the local estate agents and things like that um, and he started buying a few properties but what he did at the start was because we weren't on the ground or anything we would just buy properties that were walking mm-hmm. my dad would just buy properties that were walking yeah. in condition let straight away and he would just take the cash flow and build it uh-huh. that way and it was only really when I came back for university um, that his model changed because I was on the ground we would then start looking for stuff that required work and I'd yeah. be involved in the work and mm-hmm. get the team together mm-hmm. and do it all so but back when he was in Lux, that's sort of the model we were, well, he was working on. Right. Buying it, letting it out straight away, and then saving up the money for the next deposit, effectively. Okay. And a no-brainer to go to university. I mean, you clearly have the entrepreneurial spirit. You come out of school, you've gone to however many courses. You, you must, at the back of your mind, be thinking, you know what? Not that 
I don't have any more to learn because you're clearly somebody who's never going to think that. But you clearly had a desire for property. So why did you go to university? So I bought my first property February 2012. Mm -hmm. um, and I was going to go to university September 2012. So bought it when I was 18. My dad um, gave me the mortgage for my 18th birthday. That was his present. They would host the mortgage right. um, and I spoke to, found a deal, um, it was a £60,000 one bedroom bungalow right. that was valued at 80 but the person had just needed to get rid of it. Uh -huh. So I spoke to a family member and said, I've done all these courses, my dad's been involved in it, let's do effectively a joint uh, venture. First you, you put the funds in for the deposit, I'll put the funds in for the solicitor and all that side of the stuff uh -huh. and we'll split it 50-50 and we've still got that one right okay still doing it so that was my sort of first one but university really was my mum and dad wanted me to go right so I thought obviously we were at school in Luxembourg and it costs quite a lot of money to do that so I thought I'll honour you by going to university yes. because uh -huh. that's what what you want me to do. So and why that. did they want you to do that? Because clearly they must have seen from a very young age that you had this entrepreneurial spirit. Was it just a fail-safe for them? I or think just... it was more a case of I come up with these big ideas right. to do things, but I didn't really have a plan. So I didn't have enough property at that point to say I've got all this cash flow, that's how I'm going to live. Uh -huh. So it was basically a case of while you're at university, that gives you some structure, that gives you the, the ability to get funding from the Luxembourgish government to go to university and mm -hmm. support yourself while you're there. Mm -hmm. And then while you're at uni or not at uni and doing other things, you can start to build up okay. the portfolio so around it's, it. So it's almost you're using university as, in essence, a job and you're doing a sort of side hustle with the property just to yep. see you know what, I can take this to the next step because I can do it from start to finish and then over a three-year, four-year period, I can really understand whether or not this is something I want to do. Because at the end of the day, it's easy when you're effectively doing it through my dad. So in Luxembourg, it was my dad doing all the purchasing, so it was my dad dealing with the mortgage companies. I didn't have to, I was just going, there's a deal, there's the... Yes. Doing all the fun bit of it, whereas my dad's the one filling out all the paperwork and taking all the ultimate responsibility. Whereas, so when it, what my, I think what my parents felt was that when I actually came back and I was then going to be doing a lot of that myself, would I, would I still have the same passion mm -hmm. for it, and could I see past it to able to yes to the long term of it? Because there's nothing better than doing the nice parts of the job. Yeah. It's when you've actually got to do the ugly parts of the job yep. but unfortunately if you're going to do the job you've got to do the ugly parts as well as the good job the yep. good parts definitely okay. but and I, I chose obviously a subject of uni finance investment and risk that I enjoyed and I liked and I knew a lot of it in advance yeah, because I've yeah. done so much studying uh -huh. so it meant that I could actually go through uni and not do as much at uni as I probably could have done mm -hmm, mm -hmm. from a studying point of view because a lot of it I'd learned and I'd spoken to lots of people on the best way to obviously get through uni with the least path of least resistance mm -hmm. and I spend as little time as uni as possible because mm -hmm. I want to be doing this property stuff so yes. eventually found a way around it and but got there in the end. Okay so you've got 2012, September 2012 you start, yep. you spend what three years? Three years. Three years at yep. uni um, and 
So that takes us to 2015. Yeah. And during that time, what are you doing with the property side of things? So during that time with the property side, when I'd been in Luxembourg um, and I was going back and forth to all these courses, um, there was a member of staff um, that worked in the library um, there and I, she was my, like my, one of my best friends because I would just go in and go, can you order all these books for me? <laughs> and she, she saw somebody that loved to read, yeah, loved yeah, yeah. to learn. Uh-huh. So she was like, yeah, that's fine. So I'm getting all these property books yeah. through the, and the school are funding it effectively. Uh-huh. So I'm just learning, I'm picking one up, taking it back. And we got to chatting and um, she's going with you this weekend and same in London and talking to her about property and here's a deal that we've just done and chatting through. Um, so when I left for university, um, she actually turned around to me and said, um, I've got some funds. Oh, right. Would so you, she wanted would you to invest, I invest with you. Right. And I said, yes. So obviously, because I'm, I'm very rarely that turn around money uh-huh, um, uh-huh. for capital purposes so offered her 12% a year um, uh, which is higher than we give to people now but right. still she invested in me at a very young age I was 18 mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. very early on so she took a big risk but she saw something in me so she's reaping the rewards of yeah, that yeah. Um, so started using that for those funds to just to buy up some properties so we bought a one bed bungalow and converted the uh, the attic into a two bed. And this was where? Uh, this was Ingleside. Right, okay. Um, and then we started expanding out to, to other places in Cumbernauld and a couple of other local areas. Um, so how much did she give you? So she gave me £25,000. Right. So that was enough to do one project at a time. Yeah. And the, and, and the deal was that she would get 12% back on yep. that and anything more than that then that was your yeah. profit, as it, as it were, for project managing and, and taking the risk and, and yeah. doing that deal. Okay, um, and then at, at any stage during that project, because, I mean, that's, that's quite a risk in that you've got £20,000 of cash, then how did you finance that then? Was that done through a company or no so at the start we were doing everything through personal names right Um, so that was just financed um, 50-50 through with with, well my dad got the mortgage on that one I put in the funds I was it was actually um, some family members that were the builders on on that project so I I was up in the roof with them and try to learn as much as Uh as much as possible yeah yeah yeah. Um, and then we got it done and remortgaged it pulled the money out and we just kept rolling the money. Yeah. Uh, the, the investors just kept rolling the money. So you were confident in the fact that you had sourced this project, you knew what the costings were going to be, um, you had the finance in the background through your father, and you had the deposit through this the investor. Like, yeah. the, the investor. Um, and at any stage, did you think, I'm slightly concerned about this, or I've got no concerns about this, or... It's the type of thing... I'm the type of person that even the concerns, if I have concerns, I'll obviously, when I look at concerns, I would go, right, how do I mitigate that? Uh-huh. So if I'm worried about X, what can I do to make sure that that doesn't happen? Or if it does happen, how do we minimise the impact of that? Yeah. So it's really a case of just finding my way through it, because that was probably the first real refurb that I'd 
been involved mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. Um, and having the support of family that knew the trade and yes. were involved in it I was sort of relying on their experience so I was chatting it through and they'd say well what about this problem and then we would work it out and we'd be able to get mm-hmm, them so mm-hmm. it was really a case of your team's so important yes and having people that you can bounce ideas off of and I think what is good in your situations is that yes we all stand on, on somebody's shoulders but ultimately, your your father was the foundation. You were standing in his shoulders, yeah. and then you had a family member who was the builder. So, of the four parts, yeah. three of them are very close family members, and so yeah. therefore, you're going to get a lot more encouragement from yeah. that, and they're going to give you a lot more encouragement. Yeah, right. Well, that's great. That's great. So you did the first one. So um, did the first one, pulled the money out. Uh-huh. Did the second one, and we just kept building it from there right so that was when another family member had got involved and said do you want to do something 50-50 with them mm-hmm. so we, I started um, getting involved with, with that family member we built up a portfolio that we've still got yeah. we then with the recent changes we've set up a limited company and we're starting to move mm-hmm. some of those properties in over. and still buying more so yeah. all the people that I've that invested with me at the start are still investing with me now and I'll keep investing with them as long as that's that they're happy because yes. they took the risk at the early stages when we didn't I didn't have fifteen or twenty projects behind me, I had two, three, four. Yes. So I'm very grateful to them for doing that and okay. giving me that encouragement to go, I do know what I'm doing and building it slowly but surely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they talk about this no money down strategy and in, in essence that's what you started with and, and moving forward you're continuing to do these JVs. Yes. You're supplying the mouse, the, the projects, the what you're going to make your money out of, an investor's supplying the deposit, you're giving them a certain percentage per annum um, and then you're organising the funding either through yourself now or through your, your father. Or and I think that, that's the stage is obviously when I was starting doing this, I was 18, 19, 20, I didn't have an income. No. So I couldn't get mortgages. No. So everything I had to do was somebody else. Uh-huh. Whether it be family members or eventually I got pulled one of my friends into doing it or whoever I could do, I had to do it with someone else because I didn't have the ability to do it on my own. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. personally, I don't act. I could do it on my own, but I like having someone else there to bounce ideas off of and to, what about this, what about that, and just doing a journey together. Because at the end of the day, I don't want to say, I'm now, I can now do it on my own, thanks for helping me get here, but I don't need you anymore. Yeah. I want to keep investing into those relationships uh-huh, and uh-huh. keep doing it, because at the end of the day, I wouldn't be here if they hadn't done yes. that. So, MD that I've worked with up until now, and even moving forward, I, I, I do it. I do it with them. I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to do it alone. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're at the stage now where you've got a number of projects. Um, you've you've finished the the uni degree. So why not go in full t- full time? Why why not do that? Did you think about doing that? I thought about it. Uh huh. But then I thought I. My other passion from property is obviously finance and helping people with their finances and things like that. So for me, going down the sort of the, the IFA route um, appeals to me because 
want to enjoy it mm-hmm. and do it it's a benefit to someone else so there's been a lot of people obviously at this moment in time I'm not qualified to give advice but there's a lot of people that you can help sort of just show them different ways to do things and say what if you did this and then they can go and obviously speak to the professional about that mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. more a case of especially when it comes to things like debt and things like that I used um, credit cards and loans and stuff to finance a lot of the refurbs that we were doing so I understand how that side of things works mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so I know about I mean we've got maybe three or four projects on, on cards at the moment and they're all on 0% yeah. because we're just moving it about so uh-huh. I understand how all that works and how to, to generate it so just trying to help people um, one get out of their debt and then two how do we build your asset base from there yeah, yeah. so I've recently uh, got diploma qualified and got the diploma in regulated financial planning you got it so I got that oh, good for you and the results came through the last, the last day before Christmas did they yeah so um, I've got that so you've got some badges now so I've got some what badges. can you call yourself now I think it's um, um, dip PFS or something right like that. okay um, and I've got the mortgage ones as well so I did the mortgage advice and the uh-huh. advanced mortgage yeah, so I got yeah, them yeah. in December so yeah. it's just again it comes back to the learning just constantly learning and not and doing exams and doing all that not for the sake of doing them but because of the information that you yes, can get yes the knowledge that it. you can glean from that which will help you move forward okay um, so are you going to, what are you going to use, how are you going to use that then? So at the moment the plan is I'm doing para planning. Mm-hmm. At the moment, so the plan is I'm doing, started the certificate in para planning um, over Christmas. Right. So plan is just to keep learning, keep learning that field, increase my knowledge, increase my expertise and um, and then hopefully eventually move on to the, to the IFA side because I think property when you've got loads of projects going on like at the moment um, we've got four or five refurbs and you can you can deal with it yes. and buying new properties you can deal you don't need a lot a lot of time to do it whereas if I went full time just now I would be I'd have a lot of spare time and I'm like ah, well I don't really want I've not got anything I want to do with that spare time so I might as well mm-hmm. be learning in, in an environment where I'm learning as much as possible Yes, uh, and I do that and, and work for uh, it's brilliant the, the debates and stuff we have about finance and assets mm-hmm. and all that kind of thing and you just because it's something at the moment we've just taken on the PPN Glasgow networking event yes um, uh-huh. progressive so yeah progressive uh, event that meets said uh, on the fourth uh, Monday of every month and at these networking events before obviously it was hosting one but you were talking to people and a lot of people had similar questions and I would take these questions to the financial advisors and go, well, what about this? What about that? And they would come back and go, well, you could do that. Why don't you look into that? And then I'd just go back in the next month and go, had a, ch- had a chat. Have you thought about potentially doing this? I'd go, go see a financial advisor and, and speak to them about that. But mm-hmm. So, for instance, mum and dad, with them being non-resident in the States, um, their accountant had was doing their tax returns for the first um accounts out with uh, being in the EA so yep. um, they came back and said you don't have your personal allowance um, which is obviously 11,500 for, for this tax year but previously mm-hmm. it was 11,000 which meant that their tax bill suddenly shot up uh-huh. but I was reading, I was doing the exam for personal taxation and uh-huh. in the textbook 
non-resident, da, 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 if you've got this kind of income, blah, 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 you can get your personal so I sent them screenshots. Right. And said, go back to the accountant with that. And uh-huh. they went back and they spoke to the accountant and they, didn't, they had the ban. Right. So they didn't need to pay the tax. So oh. it's a type of thing, it's just, con- but I wouldn't have done that had I not been in the environment to speak no. about. So constantly learning, that's something. So you have got a thirst for knowledge, that's absolutely clear. Do you think you'll ever go into property full time? Never say never, but it's a case of if the f- at the moment I'm able to manage everything. Uh-huh. So if suddenly somebody came along and said, Philip, we've got £5 million worth of funds, we need you to run it. Who knows? But at this moment in time, I'm I'm comfortable. Right. Um, just um, doing what we're doing and sort of running both horses for uh-huh. of a better phrase. Uh huh. Okay. Okay. Um. So goal setting. Let's turn a little bit and and cast our eyes over the goal setting side of things. Clearly, with your your father's education and then your own education and your thirst for knowledge, goal setting, I guess, must be something that's something that you'll be looking at next year's goals I presume you've yeah. got a five year goals and a Sunday maybe yeah. goals so talk to me a little bit about that and, and first do you goal set? I goal set pretty much every week nearly down to every day but it all stems back from the end so I've got an end target of if I had achieved that amount or that value I'd be happy that's my target and then I just work it back, but I work it back in lots of different ways. So I work it back if I was only to achieve eight percent compounding return from now. How would I? What every year? Yes. How much do I need to have at eight mm-hmm. percent? If it's twelve percent, how much do I need to have? So I can every year I can gauge. I'm on target as long as I keep hitting that twelve percent, mm-hmm. and then you mix it in. So one year you only do eight, then nine, then ten, then twelve, then eight, and just mix it about to see am I ahead depending on different scenarios or am I behind and what do I need to be in order to achieve that end goal? Because we've spoken about this and, and one of these things I think for for the Scottish listeners is that you know the, we're very much almost brought up that we've got to be modest but the goals that you've told me about are, are far from modest. I think it's a case of... But you're not, you're not somebody who, to me... You don't come across as somebody who's Jack the Lad and he's out there all flashing. You know, it's all very calculated in it what you're doing. So it's a case of that that goal is that goal because of the numbers. Mm-hmm. If the numbers said that it could only be half of that, the goal would be half of that. Right. So to me, I, I love numbers because numbers don't lie if you plug them correctly. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. if you want to achieve a billion and you're, you're in an industry that's only earning 8%, and you've got a million pound, you're not going to earn that billion because it's just going to take too long. Too long. So yeah. it's a case of what's the average's returns from property and cash flow, capital and income, and you just work out, you can go, that's the goal that I want to hit based on the funds I've got just now. So it's those goals are based on me not taking on any more sort of deposit funds. Uh-huh. So it's it's very mathematical. Yes. Your the, the way that you set that out. Yeah. And if the the numbers are, are low, then you need to know, well, I need to have another project, I need to have two other projects, yeah. but not only the number of projects, I need to make sure that those projects are grossing an X amount yeah. to add on, which will then compound up and get yeah. me back on track. Definitely. Okay. 
Okay. So that's a monetary goal, but yep. what other goal settings do you do? Do you do personal goal setting? So I do personal goal setting, so for exams and qualifications and things like that, I've got goals for that of where I'd like to be. Do you write these down? Yeah, they're on my whiteboard in the in my office. And so I know every month what what my next exam is. So I've got the plan to do 10 or 12 okay. exams this, this and, year. And the other goals are all written down? They're all, they're all written down. You've got okay. to, if it's not written down, it's not a goal. <laughs> it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. As somebody said. Uh, okay, and reviewing. Because as, as I say to, or certainly as I listen to all the podcasts I listen to, there's, and there's no point in um, having goals unless you're prepared to review them. Because it's not always going to be the case that you're always on track. And if you don't track your goals and review your goals, then you're never going to know whether or not you're on track or not. So I think that's the, the key thing, is you've got to... Setting the goals, one thing, but it's making sure that you're still on target and, and achieving it. So I review quarterly the big one to make sure I'm on target, because it roughly takes... It's taking us about between four to six weeks to buy a property, and then another four to six weeks in the end to renovate it mm-hmm. so there's your, your three months so if you've not got sort of we're planning April, May, June right now because mm-hmm. we know we need to be buying January, February so that we can be renovating and making sure they all work yeah. so we're constantly working three, six months ahead mm-hmm. but then you've got to review it halfway through to make sure that the ones you've just finished did they achieve the return that we needed was mm-hmm. there a problem with the refurb did it overspend or did it take too long because that will obviously then knock into the next one mm-hmm. so if you've got one refurb that you expect we've got one just now that's been lasting quite a while just for for different reasons but that's had a knock-on effect of the plan because we were meant to have released that money yeah by now to then do the deals and that were meant to be offering now to get the properties sort of middle of February yeah. we can't be doing that because the funds haven't been released uh-huh, uh-huh. so it all has a knock on effect so it's just a case of if that does happen do we need to flip one potentially yes. take a big chunk of money and use that to get that ball rolling again mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but the way I see it is right now is you'll have heard the analogy of snow at the top of the hill and a snowball and you've got to pack as much snow in at the top of the hill as possible mm-hmm. by the time it's at the end it's massive but yeah, you're only doing yeah. halfway downhill so if you're looking at goals for 2018 if you only start looking or reviewing your goals in June half the year's gone Yeah. so you've only got if you've not done something you've only got half a year left to catch it up which mm-hmm. means your returns need to be higher so if you've got £100 and you lose half of it you've lost 50% mm. but to get back to square one you've got to double it so your returns need to be that much higher. Yes. So you need to look at different projects. So it's just a case of managing that, really. And do you think to be successful in property, you, you need to be like that? Do you think that's... One I don't of think there's any one way to be successful in property. Mm-hmm. It works for me because that's the way I'm wired. So I can't say that it's right or wrong because somebody else will look at it from maybe a more abstract point of view or a qualitative point of view, yeah. whereas I'm quantitative. Mm-hmm. So it's just a case of finding out. But it's such a numbers business because you're dealing you're dealing with mortgages, you're dealing with deposits. You, you need to have your head around the, the numbers. You need to have your head around how quickly you can get from seeing a property, buying a property, renovating a property, selling a property. So whilst I appreciate what you're saying, that you can come at it from a different angle, 
to me, those that I've interviewed and spoken to, the ones that are successful in doing that, more side on the the numbers, and they're so super organised. I mean, you will have spoken to lots and lots of investors, and you'll know whether or not they're successful or not. Because once you're in the game, you yeah. know if somebody's talking flannel or, yeah. or somebody's not. Um, and certainly the ones I've ever spoken to, that you think, no, you're just talking nonsense because you're not you're not playing the game properly. And so do you you do you think that there's a rule book, um, or is there? A strict rule book, or is there a foundational rule book that you've really got to stick to? And if you don't stick to that, then you're going to struggle. Or do you think you can do it any way you want? I think there's obviously core fundamental things that you need to get. But mm-hmm. I think the good thing with property is that you don't need to do it by yourself. Yeah, is you can JV with people. You can have a team mm-hmm. that does that. So, for instance, if there's two people like me in a JV partnership and we're all numbers, there's nobody doing the other side of it. So, for instance, the person, my, my business partner, Aaron, who we do, who we run the PPN Glasgow through, mm-hmm. he's more um, psychology and talking to people and that kind of thing. If we're in a party, he'll be talking to everybody. Right. I'll be sitting in the corner speaking to somebody that I already know. Right, things the butterfly. Because, because that's what he's good at, but then he then can get the people and then can bring me in and then I can bring in what I'm good at and then we can all go so mm-hmm. it's a case of you've got to find somebody that complements what you do because if there's two of us one of us are relevant effectively yeah, because yeah. you can't both do the same job so it's a case of if you're not the numbers person find somebody who is maybe more leans to that way and when JVing you're talking about JVing and what you've spoken about there is one individual that you JV with can you yeah. do you think that you can JV on, on one particular deal with four or five different people so for example I'll put this to you so you've got a team of people and the team of people everybody's in the JV yeah. so you've got your sourcer yeah. you've got your mortgage guy you've got your project manager and you've got your builder yeah so, four of them have all got different jobs. Yeah. yeah. Ultimately, if the sourcer doesn't do his job, there's nothing. Yeah. The mortgage guy and the legals guy, he needs to do that in order for the thing to work. The project manager is as vital, and the builder, well, the builder's going to do the work. Yeah. Do you think something like that could potentially work? Well, as in each have a piece of the pie. Yeah. I think anything can work as long as it's at the start strict about who's responsible for what mm-hmm. and you've got to assign that's your responsibility that's your responsibility because yeah. if you don't do that the builder will start talking to the sorcerer and the project manager will start talking to the mortgage person and that's not what you want you no. want I think you need to have somebody that's got a oversee of them all mm-hmm. so that somebody can sort of manage every single part of it but Anything can work as long as you set it at the start. You, you've interestingly talked there about responsibilities, and I think that's absolutely key, and those responsibilities cannot overlap. But ultimately, when it comes down to divvying the, the, the money at the end of the day, yeah. the builder could turn around and say, well, I'm more important, and the source is saying, no, I'm more important. And that's why it's important to get it sorted at the start. Absolutely. Because then the way I look at it is, the builder can't do anything if the source doesn't have the property. Uh-huh. So everybody's as important as each other. 
So do you think in those circumstances it has to be an equal split? Because ultimately if it's not an equal split, then somebody then who's getting more of the pie is then immediately assuming, well, my job's more important and the thing's going to hit the buffers. Personally, I always do everything in equal splits uh-huh. because at the end of the day, that's what you can't do. When somebody, If I don't have the finance, I can't get the property. So if somebody's got bringing the finance and I'm bringing the knowledge and the expertise, we're both as valuable as each other. So for me, I do everything in equal splits. That's an important mindset to have because you can't get greedy because as soon as you get greedy, then that's when you have problems. I mean, I've worked in previous careers as the law, and one of the most successful times that we ever had um, was I was in a partnership where we had 10, 14 partners, um, and I, I think there was maybe about six or seven of us that were, were equity. And ultimately, didn't matter really how much, well, it didn't matter how much you brought in year on year. You all shared the same percentage of the pie mm-hmm. because one year the court guys would bail out the property guys one year the property guys would bail out the corporate guys and then the corporate guys would bail out you know yeah. everybody had over a 10 year cycle if you looked at it you thought well two of them we were lucky to have property on board two of them we were lucky to have corporate etc yeah. and I think it is the root of of a disaster waiting to happen, money. I mean, I think unless you have that nailed down and agreed, and ultimately, I think, an even split, yeah. then it will begin to rankle. It will just be like a weeping sore that will just, you keep wanting to pull the scab back and say, oh, I'm better than you, I'm better than you. But you can't have that. I just can't see that that works in a GV partnership. So interesting to take your get your take on it, mm-hmm. but it's always 50-50 with you. I think... Coming back to, I speak about Buffett a lot because that's where I've learned so much about mm-hmm. business and stuff. He treat, he runs a limited company, effectively a, a, a public limited company. But previous to that, he ran a partnership, and it was how much money you put in that was what your share was. Right. Okay. So if you put in thirty percent of the money, they receive thirty percent of the benefit. But he's taken the partnership model and transformed it into a, a limited company or a public limited company mm-hmm. and I think that's the way I look at I look at everything in the case of if I had to answer to a board could I present this because one day one of my ambitions is to have something that's, that's floated on and listed on the stock exchange mm-hmm. and it's a case of if I get into the mindset now of doing it it'll become so much easier when you actually need to do it and you've got to report and you've got to be accountable Really, so yeah. I look at everything, and with a few of the partnerships, every year I produce a report saying this is what we've done, this is what went well, and this is what didn't go well. And it's just a case of it's okay to screw up and make a mistake, but be honest about it because there'll be one year that the other partner will screw up and make a mistake. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's a case of you work together on it, and you both fail together, and you both win together. All yeah. four of you fail, and you all win. It's a case of if somebody starts going, well, you've made a mistake, I can go off and find somebody else, you'll never achieve anything big because you'll just keep moving and need to keep starting again. Whereas if you just work through it and just keep moving forward, it seems to work out longer in the end. So, And I think that comes down then to choosing the right JV partners and having trust, implicit trust, with what they do. 
Yes. And, and that then comes down to you as a judge of, of other people's character. Yeah. Um, which I think when you're you're JVing with anybody, it, it's probably the most important thing yep. to ensure that you pick the right person. You need to make sure that your goals are aligned because if you are, so for instance, Matt, when it comes to the way that I do the property companies, it's set up so that we're not taking dividends or we're not taking money out of the business mm-hmm. because the money's going back in to compound and buy more. Yeah. So if I'm, if you come to me and go, I'm looking for a business to that I can take money out on a monthly basis, we're I'm not, not the person for you no. because I'm about plowing it back in because it's those compound returns. Now, uh-huh. it's not to say that some of the ones I've got are for shorter term. You might have a five or a 10 year and you go at the end of the 10 year, we're going to sell it or sell out or do whatever we're doing, liquidate mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. But you know it's for a 10-year period. So if you go in it with the, this is a business that we're going to take money out of, then that's fine. Just making sure all parties are aligned because my, my thing is long-term. So I don't mind not taking any money out of the business because I don't want the lifestyle now. I'd rather have the lifestyle in 20, 30 years' time. Yeah. But that's my choice. Uh-huh. Other people would rather it now. So it's just a case of each individual person will bring their own thoughts and beliefs into mm. it. And it's just a case of getting that agreed at the start so that five years down the line you don't go, right, it's now it's time to start taking money and you have that fight that you're speaking about. You spoke there about mistakes um, and having made mistakes. Talk to me about then if you could speak to your 15-year-old self and say, listen, for goodness sake, I've been watching, I watched Back to, I don't know, did you watch Back to the Future? No. I, I watched it with my two kids, um, and I think Back to the Future 2's on and then 3. Um, and I, th- I thought to myself, that's a question I want to ask you, is what would you tell your 15-year-old self that you've learned as a 24-year-old to say, listen, you need to be aware of that? I think it's a case of beware of getting too far ahead of not not wanting to get too far ahead so when I was younger I was always wanting to keep moving and keep going forward and I, I knew how to do bigger things but I just couldn't do it and that frustrated me right so now I would say is just be content in the season that you're at so for instance when I was 15 16 I couldn't go out and buy properties and I would it was it would really frustrate me mm-hmm. that I knew how to do it, yeah. and I could see the deals, but I couldn't physically uh-huh. do them. What do you mean? I need to be eighteen. <laughs> you know, that's what the, the, the thought I had then. Yeah, yeah. So it was a case of just be content in the season that you're in. So right now we're dealing with just single single lets and things like that. Would I love to do build other ones or build eight eight in a block or mm-hmm. whatever? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd love to do that, but I'm not there now, so I'm not going to be frustrated at the fact that I'm not doing it because you do see deals that, that work and it's just a case of know where you're at what your limits are and uh-huh. just keep moving those forward yeah, rather yeah. than because you'd end up so frustrated and I was for a period of time because I had, all the deals were there and I just didn't have the funds to do it okay. but that comes with time yeah a bit of a, a maturity um, I was Talking just before we started, I've, I've um, started reading a book called Book Yourself Solid, which is all about marketing. Books, best route, best book that you've, you've read or that you could recommend to, to somebody that... I think 
Def, depending on what you're looking to, to get. So uh-huh. obviously a big book for me was Rich Dad, Poor Dad because it just flicked that switch. Yeah. Um, the the Snowball uh, by Alice Schroeder, which is Warren Buffett's um, journey. It's about 900 pages. I've got the book and the Audible and I just, every year or so, I've just, it's like 29 hours on Audible. Just sit. Just a refresh. Yeah, and just read through it. So that was a, that was a big one. Um, the Richest Man in Babylon. Um, is another one just mm-hmm. talking about obviously paying yourself first in that first 10% and making sure you're investing and letting your money grow for you um, I've got about 200 books in the house and I could, every one of them I could say that's great for, uh-huh. for that in particular um, but I think the other one was The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham that's more linked to, to stocks and shares but right. it talks about um, one of his main themes is having a margin of safety so mm-hmm. making sure you've got a margin of safety in your stocks but then making sure you've got a margin of safety in your properties so I was talking to actually somebody the other day about this so when I'm looking at the deals and stuff I will the end value I'll put it at the lower end of the scale minus mm-hmm. even less than the lower end of the scale and the refurb costs I'll put it at the higher end of the scale and even more yep. and it's got to then have enough left so that I've got that margin of safety if the market comes down I'll still make the money I need. If my costs run over, I'll still make the money I need. And then being really picky about what you go for. Mm-hmm. So for instance, Buffett talks about um, baseball and obviously three strikes and you're out. But in property or shares or whatever, it's not like that. You can take as many balls without taking a swing yeah. as possible. But making sure that when you do, it's in the pro- it's in the deal that works best yes. for your for your criteria it's in your sweet spot and it's just a case of and that you only really need to pick three or four properties a year to be able to do that long term you can obviously go for more but they're only going to be maybe four or five actual real gems mm-hmm. a year and when they come along get them yeah type yeah. thing okay one book I've been reading is a, is a book written by a woman by the name of Gretchen Rubin um, and what she's talking about are four tendencies, what she thinks is that we can divide everybody into four tendencies and you generally have one tendency over the other three and it's all to do with inner expectations and outer expectations. So outer expectations are what you, what inner expectations are what you want to do with your life and how you goal set etc and outer expectations are those expectations that have been set by other people okay so be interesting just to see what i think you are so you've got the rebel you've got the obliger you've got the questioner and you've got the upholder okay so the rebel is that he resists outer expectation and out and inner expectation okay you've got the obliger who is very much um he wants to help everybody but at the cost of his own inner expectations so he's all about outer expectations being the thing I need to do then you've got the upholder and he's all about satisfying his inner expectations and also satisfying the outer expectations and then the questioner which is all about inner expectations are number one and if it suits him then outer expectations but he has that question to say listen does this suit my inner expectations and if, if that's the case, then that's fine. Mm-hmm. So on a broad 
you don't, to me, appear to be the rebel. So what would you think? What would you say? I think you're probably the questioner. That's what I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I was sort of, I did, there's, a, there's a quiz. Um, I'll send you the quiz. It's quite yeah. interesting. Um, and I was, I was, there's 13 questions and I think four I was upholder and two was questioner. So I don't know whether I'm not on the cusp of upholder and questioner, but certainly I don't have a problem. I don't think anyway with the inner expectations. It's outer expectations um, that I I think I may be more a questioner, mm-hmm. and that's maybe back from my my legal side when somebody told me to do something. I'm thinking, well, do I really want to do that? Is it's it's the example that my my wife says that we've got a spare room, okay, and I know somebody's arriving, coming to the spare room in three weeks' time, and my wife tells me, well, go and sort the spare room out. And I'm thinking, well, why do I need to go and sort the spare room out? Because it's three weeks. I'll decide to do that in a week's time because there's more important things for me to be doing in my own head. Um, So I think, to me, that sort of sits well with with me as a questioner and you think you might be the questioner as well yeah probably the questioner Uh it's a good book I'm halfway through it Um, and I'll send you that 13 questions listen as I'm going to walk you through the door I know I appreciate that I've taken um, a big chunk of your your day Um, let's go through the the 10 questions that we always set at the end all about firsts first car I don't drive so I've never had a first car well that's a first we've never had anybody so you don't drive at all I don't drive no so no, no, no license, no nothing. No, my, wife, my that... wife, my wife will hate me for saying that. But yeah, that's right. So how do you get about then? I, public I transport, public taxis. Uh, I, I enjoy taking public transport because I can read and listen to podcasts and stuff uh-huh. like that on the journey, and just I, I don't know. It's just it's one of these things that I've got in my head uh-huh. that our goal I've had since a kid, and I've just. And I suppose stuck. if you don't drive, you don't know that that journey might take you quicker because ultimately you think well that I'm taking a bus and, and that'll take me X amount of time and I and I, but I use the fact that the public transport and stuff that is my time to read or Your own catch time. up and that's okay. what I use it for right so for me it's just it's perfect and that's the way I, I like it my, my wife doesn't agree she no, was I was driving but <laughs> um, it works for me right because my wife doesn't drive, well, she, she's got the licence, but I can't remember the last time she drove, maybe 15 years ago. So I got, I do the driving side of things, and, and she takes the public transport, or I ferry her about. Aha, mm-hmm. uh-huh. I can understand what your wife feels about. Okay. <laughs> um, so, first film, can you remember your first film you went to go and see? Uh, the earliest one I've got is the first Star Wars, Star Wars 1. Oh. Not the first one, no, about right. the one in the series. Right. That's probably the... McGregor was that one yeah. McGregor yeah. yeah McGregor okay um, and first house my first house was the property that I purchased in February 2012 right okay and you still got that still got that yeah and you're renting that out still renting out still cash flow and still okay good everything yeah brilliant and how much you getting rental wise on that 450 okay just chuntering along quite just nicely no, no point yeah in it's I didn't touch what with you with the finance side of things all interest only or capital and interest what you for me to it's do interest it? only yeah because I'm looking at this 30 40 50 years down yeah, the line. yeah yeah so inflation's sitting at about 3.1 percent so uh-huh. over 40 50 years it's gonna 
whittle that right down. So yes. if some people are looking at it for a 10, 15 year time period, they should maybe look at capital you interest. Understand but capital because interest. of the, the long term that I'm going, I, I do everything on interest only. Yeah. Unless it's required like for service accommodation or something like that, they, they like a capital and Yes, uh-huh, amortisation. Okay, um, first year football, golf or football? Football. Right. I don't play golf. This is actually sometimes talking to Aaron about on the phone. Right. Yesterday he got golf lessons for his Christmas. What did he? Because he knows he needs to start because that's obviously where a lot of business and social yeah, and yeah, yeah. things happen. So maybe 2018, we'll, the two of us will get up somewhere. And football, do, do you play? Do you support? What do yeah, you... I used to play when, when I was in Luxembourg. Uh, I played for a, for a local team. Uh-huh. out there and played for the school and with it being an international school we'd get to travel oh, right. to okay. Amsterdam and Antwerp and Dusseldorf and Paris and that kind of thing for, for games so we got to experience a lot of different cultures Good. things like that so yeah football would be and who do you support? I'm a Manchester United All right. fan they're not doing very well eh? they're not doing too well no, no Burnley couldn't even beat Burnley <laughs> last night <laughs> um, what have we got Rocky or Rambo? never seen any of them you haven't seen Rocky films? I, I'm, not a big, I'm not a big film person. No, books are for you. Books are for me. Okay. Uh, Netflix, do you watch it? I do watch Have you seen Netflix. Icarus? No. You have to watch Icarus. That's all about the drugs cheat. That's all of the news at the moment. It's the guy behind the Russian, behind the, uh, the Russian doping and how they got caught at Sochi. Right. It's absolutely amazing. I'll Icarus. Need, I'll need to have a look into yeah. it. Yeah, Icarus, and then there's the Barclay Marathons, which is just crazy, and then there's a great uh, one on Lance Armstrong. Those are the three um, I would recommend. Um, and then you said you were married, so remember your first dance when you got married? We didn't have a first dance. What? We, what? Uh, <laughs> we uh, our in, engagement marriages are rather quick. Once we got engaged on the 30th, 30th of January, and we were married the 14th of April. Wow. So um, we, I'm not a dance person. I'm not a big social person. Right. Okay. That just the thought of that just makes me shudder. Yeah. Uh-huh. So we just had the meal and then we said cheerio and that was it. Wow. So no, I, don't, I, don't even, I don't even know what happened afterwards. <laughs> when we left, I, I, I genuinely don't know. But that's right. Again, it's it's not something. I don't, I don't enjoy it, no. and just the whole social thing, just I don't, I don't enjoy it, but my wife does, so maybe at some point I'll need to take up dancing and give her a first dance somewhere else. So you should, so you should. Listen, it's been great. Um, I wish you all the best in 2018. Um, I don't think you'll need my good wishes, because clearly I think you've got your, your strategy mapped out, um, and if you, you go about the way you've been going about it thus far, um, I just think it'll be stellar. Fantastic. Well done, you. And all the best for you and your new venture next year as yeah, well. Yeah, I hope if the FCA can get their finger out, then uh, then we might be able to get something moved forward pretty quickly. But looking forward to that. That's great. Listen, thanks very much. Thank you. Cheers. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just think that... There's so much to cover. Oh, there is. is. You could do another pen. Oh, you could. You could. Drilling into something else. Uh-huh. And the great thing is that when you're talking to the better interviews are those where they're more open um, and what I've found is that when you're talking to somebody in an estate agent or they're an employee they're always slightly guarded because when you put the microphone off 
then suddenly it's a different conversation. I'm yeah. thinking, well, why can't we have that conversation? But that's just the yeah. way of things. So you tend to get more, um, more of an open conversation with um, somebody who's who's doing it themselves. Um, and it's just, it is just, it's great. I really do enjoy it. What did you take away from that? Good, wasn't it? You know, with Philip, we, we turned off the recorder and we ended up chatting about this, that and the next thing. It really was, we could have had another hour, another hour and a half chatting away. He really was great value and I'm, I'm hoping that you got something out of that. I'm sure you will have done. You know, for a guy who's 24, he's done a fair bit, hasn't he? You know, I was a bit, it was a bit galling, I have to say, to find out that he was only 24 and then he said that his old man was only 50. I mean, I'm approaching my 50th year this year and I'm thinking, oh my God, he must have thought he was talking to his father. But he's he's vowed to keep in touch with me. Um, let's see if he does, he's 18. I've got absolutely no doubts that as a questionnaire, uh, or a questioner rather of the, the Gretchen Rubin Four tendency, I've no doubt that he'll have no problem in uh, moving forward with his inner resolutions and as far as questioning those outer resolutions I'm sure he's going to make the right decision. As I say, we stopped the recorder and we ended up talking about ALG, talking about the ease of getting credit, educational system, the impact of the changes that uh, these tax changes are going to have on the buy-to-let market moving forward. And, you know, he's got so much to say that we're almost certainly going to have him on over the next uh, couple of months in any case. So I said at the start just of this outro piece that um really wanted to thank you for listening over the year. It really has been a great year. Um, on the personal front, we're still moving forward with the mortgage company. As I say, um, once I get back to work in January, the first call I'm going to make is to the FCA and we'll just see if we can move that business side of things forward. The downloads are slowly but surely increasing. What I'm finding is that if I'm consistent with you guys and make sure that I get an episode out each week, then the downloads continue to increase. So all I can say is that I'll do my very best to try and get these episodes out on a weekly basis. And if you could give me um, the biggest honour of listening to them, that would be great. And if you could do the double honour of giving me a comment or subscribing, you can subscribe to the website. I said in the last podcast that if you could subscribe, then you'll get a, a shiny email with a link into the latest podcast. So if you could do that, that would be absolutely fantastic. As I say, on a personal note, it's been a good year. Number one did well in our exams, um, on to our hires now. We're in the middle of the Christmas break and she's busy studying away for her hire. So we'll see how the prelims go there. We ended up getting rent, renting out Green Park, which was great. We're moving forward with Rothmar West. We've decided in the end not to sell that. So we'll be getting that back on the market. And if you want to have a holiday down 
in the uh, the west coast of Macrahanish, then do look me up and uh, you know I'll give you the keys and, and off you can go down there cracking and if you like your golf then there's no better place to go and spend a week or a fortnight listen I'm going to knock off now I've got to get last week's episode all sorted out we'll be here for you next year we'll as ever be talking property every week we'll talk the talk but you know what we'll take that sideways look at property the bricks and water podcast it is your property podcast see you next year